I heard my dog start barking, which, you know, in the five years I'd had him, he had never barked. So that was strange. Someone banging on the door and my spouse yelling, called 911. Someone's trying to break in. Listen up, gang. Lucky Gunner has both fantastic content and great prices on ammo. Enjoy the convenience of online purchase and crazy, super fast shipping. Experience why Lucky Gunner is one of our favorite spots on the Gunternet. Get-asp.com forward slash Lucky Gunner. And while you're there, you'll find Magtech ammunition. Magtech is the exclusive range ammo for the active self-protection team, and we are grateful for their commitment to quality and support. You can buy Magtech ammo at the Lucky Gunner link. Remember to tell them that you heard about them on the Asp podcast. All righty, gang. Welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am once again your host, Mike Williver. And as long as I'm doing my job right, I am still your favorite former Fed. With us today, a new friend of mine. His name is Ken. Uh, Ken is in, uh, he's a sales rep for a food dis- distribution company. We can talk about that if you want. I don't know. That's up to, that's up to Ken. Uh, and Ken is uh, married and has a really interesting story to tell us. Ken, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Glad to be here. How are you? I'm I'm good. And again, I say this almost every week, but you know, Ken's on the show because he had a story that he wasn't sure was worthy of um, of telling to our audience. And and as almost every time I get one of these emails, it is in fact worthy of telling to our audience. So that's why Ken is here. So Ken, tell us. Um, can you give us a general idea of what part of the country you're in? Yeah, I, I, no problem. I live in Chicago. Chicago, Illinois. Okay. Um, so not not the most. Uh, not to paint with broad brushes, but not the most gun-friendly um, community uh, mm-hmm. as far as the local government and state government goes. But uh, can the, his story happen in his home? Can I ask, uh, getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but do you – I know there are such things as CCWs in Chicago. Do you possess one or no? I do. Okay, yeah. very good. So talk to us real quick about that. What was that process like? How long have you had it, and was it very terribly difficult? Was there a lot of roadblocks thrown up for you to to obtain that CCW? No, I, I have to say, once Illinois finally passed uh, CCW law, it was relatively easy to get. Um, I, I got my permit with no intention of ever carrying. Uh, I had uh, I had a handgun, but it was just a, a range toy. And uh, you know, Illinois also has a, a, a permit to own or or purchase firearms called a, a FOID card, F O I D card. I'd had one of those, and when they passed the CCW law, they said eventually that was going to replace the FOID. So I figured, why not? If that's what where they're going and it's available, I'll go ahead and get it. But again, had no real intention of carrying at the time. It's not the only location that has this, this I think, intensely unconstitutional requirement to beg the government's permission to buy a gun. That's It's not the same. So for people who don't know the distinction, you know, most, most places have a, a concealed carried weapon um, certification process that you have to get to carry a gun uh, in public. A lot of states have constitutional carry or, or, or at least shall issue for their CCWs. Some places um, make you ask the government's permission before you even buy a gun, even just for your home, which I'm just hoping, Ken, I hope someone uh, challenges that up to the level of the Supreme Court or wherever it needs to go to make that go away, because that's supremely unconstitutional, in my humble opinion. Not a constitutional expert, but I needed to know enough to do my job as a law enforcement officer, and that just drives me absolutely uh, bananas. So talk to us about um, your younger life growing up. Did you grow up in a household that was particularly uh, into self-defense or firearms or shooting or hunting or anything like that? Yeah, I wouldn't say we were into 
firearms for self-defense or any purposes like that. We, we definitely had uh, long guns in the house. My dad had a few shotguns and rifles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he did exactly what I would tell anybody today to never do. He just stacked them up in the closet and left them there. It was a different time. Um, we'll give, we'll give your dad a pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, three young boys running around in the house and, and it worked. None of us ever touched them. So right. um, we, we were raised to understand them and respect them. But uh, that, that was about it. I started hunting with my dad when I was in my mid-teens. Mm-hmm. And again, I had a couple of shotguns, and that was about as far as I ever went until a little bit later. So if I can dig a little bit deeper on that. You, you were you were raised to respect them. So I tell the story about my, my uh, maternal grandfather. He had a, a veritable arsenal back in the day, just tons of really cool, um, at this point, antique guns, 1911s and older bolt actions. And every time I would go visit or spend the night, he would pull one of those out of the safe in the closet. It was always wrapped in a oily cloth, you know, that it, it, this evokes all the smells and, you know, the stuff that you, as a kid yeah. are so exciting. And he would make it safe and he would show it to me and let me manipulate the bolt or pull the dry fire or the trigger or whatever so I can get that curiosity out. Is that kind of what happened with you or you were just told, hey, don't mess with these? Yeah. Uh, the, the rule was you, you don't touch them. You don't go in dad's closet unless dad's there. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see them, just ask. Okay. Yeah. And perfect. He, yeah. He would, he would take them out. And uh, when I started expressing more interest, uh, he had my grandfather's old single shot shotgun that was in terrible condition. So we made that a project. He and I restored it together. Nice. Oh, you love to hear it. That's great. What a great story. What a great memory for you as well. Um, yeah. Now, to be clear, Ken and I both advocate, especially when there's kids in the house, that you store your firearms safely. We're not saying you should leave them in a closet unattended. But uh, I think the the best thing you can do is what Ken just said. It was just to, to let the kids see it, make it safe, and let them get that curiosity out of their system. Because everyone knows the forbidden fruit is the most delicious. The thing that you're told, don't go near it. Um, as a kid, that's it's just like a it's like a, a Pavlovian response. Like I want to see the thing that's forbidden. Anyway, moving on. So you you told me in your email that just prior to your incident, not not just prior, but prior to your incident, uh, within a year or so, you had started taking your self defense training seriously. So what what spurred you to do that exactly? Was it any particular event, or just you thought to myself, "Hey, I'm watching these ass videos. I better I better get prepared and that something bad happens to me." Um, I, I have to say, I didn't discover the videos until after the event, so I, I, I can't give you all the credit for that, but Dang I it. definitely uh, uh, become a huge fan since. Right on. Um, short story, there was uh, an event that happened at work that, um, you know, nothing, nothing terrible, it just um, caused me to start thinking about, boy, I have this concealed carry license, maybe I should start using it. Mm-hmm. Um and that was summer of 2019. And then, you know, just around the end of the year, I just thought to myself, well, you're carrying this thing on your body every day. You should probably get a little bit better with it. So I started looking for training. Um, wasn't easy to find good quality training in the Chicago area without even knowing where to start. But uh, right. eventually around the, the, you know, September, October of 2020. 
found some really good quality trainers in the area. And that that's when I started getting serious about it. Let me give a shout out real quick to John, my man, John Pearson, my active self-protection instructor cohort um, fellow who was up in that area, a great guy. I don't have his information in front of me to give you folks, but if you're in that general vicinity of the Chicago area, uh, look for John Pearson. He's a great, great instructor and, and, and eternally a student. He's always training and learning new stuff himself. So shout out to John. So, when you made this decision, okay, I need to get more serious, just kind of walk us through some of the things that you did. Did you just go to a range and start shooting? Did, you said you sought out instruction. What was that like? Um, so I just started Googling you know, firearms instruction, mm-hmm. um, took a couple of classes, and I, I don't want to uh, bag on anybody, but uh, you know, it was follow the script, shoot at that target, and I'll shoot at that target, right. okay, you're done. Um, didn't learn anything from it and wasn't really satisfied with it um, then discovered there's actually a gun room. so i live right up on the very northern edge of chicago um, found out that there was a, a gun range just two miles from my house in the neighboring community and started going in there and just talking to the, the guys behind the counter and eventually found a couple of uh, really good instructors that the worked with the range and had their own classes. So. That That's great. Sometimes it, it's always a crapshoot with the guys behind the counter at a gun store, at a gun range or a gun store. You just never know. I've I've walked into ranges in places and gotten and, and been reassured, okay, these guys know what they're talking about. They're going to give me good info. They're not going to try to sell me some, some crappy gun I don't need. Uh, what I like to do is if there's people there, I will kind of eavesdrop and listen in what they're telling another person who, especially a new person. That's a pretty good indicator of the kind of service you're going to get at a gun range or, or a gun store. So I'm glad to hear that uh, you got some knowledgeable people with good intent who weren't trying to sell you some junk or give you some give you some bad advice. There's an old Bill Burr bit about, you just got to get a shotgun, man. It's got a good spread on it. You know, that sort of thing we want to avoid at all costs. So uh, you got yourself some training, which I applaud, and I love that. Talk to us about the incident. Uh this happened in your home. So talk to us about uh, what happened, time of day, what you were doing, and, and just walk us through that. Sure, sure. So um, interestingly enough, mentioned that the training, this event took place the day after I had taken my second force-on-force class, uh, literally the next day. Timing so, is everything. Yeah, yeah. Still, The reps were still fresh in my mind, mm-hmm. I'll say. Uh, so yeah, it was a Monday night. We, we were home uh, watching TV, normal work night for us. So uh, about 1030 at night, decided it was time for bed. So, um, you know, typical Chicago house, there's the, there's the main floor, and then we have a finished basement and a finished uh, attic. Mm-hmm. I was up in the, the uh, master suite in the attic getting ready for bed, um, literally <laughs> getting in the middle of taking my clothes off. Um of course, the gun was locked up for the night because I, I now store all my firearms in a safe when well I'm done. not using them. So, um, yeah, I, I was getting ready for bed and uh, started. I heard my dog start barking, which, you know, in the five years I'd had him, he had never barked. So that was strange. And then um, someone banging on the door and my uh, my spouse yelling, called 911. Someone's trying to break in. Oh, boy. And, you know, it's 1030 Monday night. The house is obviously occupied. The lights are on. We've been moving around. The the first thought through my mind was, you know, this isn't some kid looking for a couple laptops and some jewelry he can sell. I'm glad to hear that normalcy bias didn't take over. That's good. Okay, good. Yeah. It was like, this this is bad. This is really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
right away, threw on my uh, my pants, my shirt, <laughs> uh, grabbed my phone, and then tried to call 911 while running down two flights of stairs to, to get to the gun safe and get my gun. Right. Um, it was interesting that my, I couldn't get the, the call to go through. My, the 911 call kept getting dropped or just not connecting and was kind of frustrating, but finally got, got through to him uh, just as I was getting my, my gun out of the safe and uh, told the, got the 911 dispatcher, gave her the address, told her what was going on. Uh, she asked if I had a weapon and I told her I had a gun. Mm-hmm. She said, okay. Um, I ran back up the stairs then to, to get to the front door where this was all going on and, uh, you know, call dropped again. And I figured, okay, you know what? They've got all the information they need. They've got my address. They know what's going on. I need to focus on what's going on in front of me. So right. I, uh, just set the, set the, uh, phone down on the table next to me and got behind cover about six feet in front of our front door. So talk to us about a couple of things here. Um, I love the idea that you didn't worry about, okay, 911 knows what's going on and this, I, I can't be focusing on this phone call. I need to focus on the potential threat. Uh, you said you got behind cover. What, what, what do you call in cover here? Because we, we may have a difference of opinion on what cover is. Yeah. I, I'd say you, you are probably right. Um, so th- there's the front door to our house and there's a, you know, it's a plaster, like a, an entryway and a plaster wall behind that. So it definitely would not have stopped any kind of uh, ballistic, uh, you know, any kind of bullets, any gunfire. Right. But um, felt like it was, if this person had gotten through the door, uh, felt like it was at least one more layer in between me and that person. And I could see around it mm-hmm. to watch what was going on. Very good. So, I mean, at least, look, we talk about cover and concealment. The and concealment part kind of gets poo-pooed sometimes. It's not being important. If you're if you're concealed to the extent that you can be concealed, it's it's 100% better than nothing. It's better than not just standing there out in the open where the person breaking in or the threat can see you. So, I mean, well done with that. Talk to us about the gun. What kind of what kind of a pistol, a rifle, shotgun? What did you have? Uh, yeah, it was a pistol. Um at the time, I was carrying a uh, Springfield XDE, the, the double action, single action hammer fire gun, mm-hmm. and so that was what I grabbed. Okay, so you're you're back there. Where is your spouse in this moment? Um, kind <laughs> of moving around uh, behind me for most of the time. Also trying to call nine one one. Stepped in front of me at one point. Oh boy! And uh, yeah, yeah, just uh, it's like boy, can't believe that's that just happened. So it's, uh, Honey, would you please stay behind me? Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> why are you why are you milling about between me and the threat right now? So this yeah. is this brings us back to one of my favorite topics. Having if you're the self-defender, if you're the defender in your family, whether it's just you and a spouse, you and a spouse and kids, <clears throat> one of the things you you want to do sooner than later, in fact, if you're listening to this and you haven't had this conversation with the people you're trying to defend, have it today. Talked about if we're in public and someone walks up with a knife or a gun or says, give me all your money or whatever, what do you expect that person to do? They need to know. If you don't tell them, they're not going to know what to do. They're probably going to panic. It, another aspect of that I don't think I've covered before is it's like anything else. If that person has an idea in their head of what is expected of them, it does have a calming effect. It can help them to focus on, okay, I remember Ken told me if this happens, this is what I do rather than just having no idea. Yeah. 
I, I don't I don't know that I've had a talk with my family about what to do if somebody breaks into the house. It's usually been a talk about, okay, we're out and about, you know, when something happens, what are we going to do? So it's so a talk I need to have at some point. So you hadn't had that talk apparently with your spouse. So uh, you're, you're you're dealing you're dealing with that. I assume at some point uh, that rectified itself, or you said, hey, get over here or go upstairs or something. Yeah. Uh, so in that moment. The instruction was stay behind me. Uh-huh. And if this guy gets through the door, you need to go out the back door, out into the alley and get away. Okay. I like it. Let me deal with this. So you're now set up uh, with an eye on the door. You're armed. What's happening at the door? Is it is it crazy sort of banging and yelling? Can you hear anyone speaking? Yeah. So uh, this guy is just banging on the door, kicking it, yelling, let me in, open the door, open the door, let me in, and just banging on it as hard as he could. Um, so the house I live in, it, it's it's an old house. It's about 100 years old. It's uh, you know brick construction and still has the, the really heavy wood door, solid mm-hmm. wood doors. It's not like the, the modern hollow, hollow core doors or right. anything like that. It's stout. Um, which is great. It looks great and uh, can sure take a beating, um, but very difficult to see what's going on. So mm-hmm. at, at the top of the door, there's three glass panels, and all I could see was what was you know through those glass panels. Okay. Um, what I could see was that we also had a, uh, a wooden frame storm door with a you know the the, ex- the outside of it was all wooden frame, but the center panel was just one big sheet of glass, mm-hmm. and all I could see was a piece of the frame on the top of that was hanging loose and the rest of that door was gone. That door had been defeated, had been destroyed. That door had been defeated uh, pretty quickly. Okay. I would say. Um, so yeah, the guy just kept, uh, uh, you know, again, smashing into the door, trying to get it open. And each time he, you know, kicked it or smashed into it, I could see the door kind of, you know, flexing away from the frame. Uh, if that makes any sense, like yep. the, the, where the, um, uh, where the bolt and the latch was that was holding, but the door itself was bending away and I could see the light from the porch kind of coming in around the edges. Uh, and again, just him, him screaming, yelling, screaming, open the door, open the door, let me in. So I assume uh, that you, you, you've already determined you have no idea who this person is. This is not someone, you know, there's no mistaking that this is someone trying to break in your house. It's funny. Normally home invaders don't demand you let them in. They just come yeah. in, you know, that's, that's odd. Um, I won't skip to the end, but I'm, remind me to ask you later. Do this does this person possibly think maybe they were at someone's house they knew? We'll, we'll talk about that later. So, so this is all going on. At some point, he gets through the door. I take it. Um, so he he never actually made it through the door. Okay. Um, you know, he kept he kept banging on it and kicking on it. Um, you know, for what I would have sworn was twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. If, if anybody had asked me at the time, I'd say. I was standing at the, at that door waiting a good 20 minutes. Um, at one point, you know, he, he stood up and started banging his head against the glass panels in the top. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, so I, I took the opportunity there to make, try to explain to him what was going to happen next. And, right. If he uh, made it to the door. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I pointed the gun at him and just told him, get the fudge back. Or I'll shoot you in the face. Okay. Did that have and, the uh, desired effect? I'm guessing it didn't. It, it well, it it did for a bit. 
he it was it was really weird. He uh, you know he ducked down and he actually apologized. He, he said, I, "I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry," you know, oh, and then started getting desperate, and that lasted a few seconds before he started banging on the door again and, and trying to kick through it. So, spoiler alert: you come to find out down the road that he was apparently under the influence of PCP. Um, yeah. and, and you wrote in the email, I didn't know it was still a thing. It is still a thing. And I have some experience with people on PCP. None of them are good. Uh, it, for folks who don't know uh, people think PCP gives you superhuman strength. It does not give you any additional strength, by the way. So don't add it to your training regimen. If you're trying to get swole, PCP is not the answer. Uh, what it does do <clears throat> is kind of dull all of your nerve endings. You can't feel anything quite literally. It, it, it makes your mind insane, obviously as well, but someone under the influence of PCP, enough of it can't feel pain, literally can't feel pain. So there was a time uh, years ago, I was a a cop in Ocean City, Maryland, a seasonal police officer. And we had a guy under the influence of PCP, not even a big guy, kind of a little guy. And it took six or more of us to get him into custody. He's, he's breaking bones as he's resisting and doesn't feel a thing. And you, as as the non-PCP user, you're like, ah, that's terrible. Like how, how come this isn't, you know, how come none of these pain compliance things are working? He's breaking his, his own bones uh, to, to no effect. He's having no response to that. So I just wanted to let the audience know that was the case. Uh, you didn't know that at the time. So how long was it actually, if you had to guess between your call and when the police arrived and was he still there when they got there? Yeah, but he was still there. He was, he was still actively trying to break in um, the, the police uh, later found out from my next door neighbor who watched the later watched the, his recording on camera that it took uh, about seven minutes from the time the guy first walked out to our porch until the time the police had him out on the sidewalk. And that blew my mind. I, I like I said, I, I would have sworn it, it was 20 minutes. And at one point I was thinking very unkind thoughts about the police yeah. for uh, taking so long to get there. Well, I mean, let's just talk about seven minutes. Seven minutes is a respectable response time in an emergency call. In a big city, tough to say. Depends on the time of day. It could have been shift change. I don't know. Probably not at that hour of the night. But I think it's worth examining how long seven minutes really is. And when you're in the middle of a fight or you're you're uh, standing in your living room waiting for someone to burst through your door, it is a literal eternity. It is forever. And let's assume you weren't armed, you know, you made this phone call and now you're waiting inside, um, you know, with a baseball bat or something, praying he doesn't come to the door. That's seven minutes. Uh, the things that can happen in seven minutes, uh, I didn't want to think about it because he could have done untold, probably could have killed both of you before the police got there. And it turns out that baseball bat uh, may or may not have done you any good under those circumstances. If he was under the influence of PCP, he was not going to feel any of that. So seven minutes is a long time. I'm not going to fault CP Chicago PD, right? No, and, and neither do I. I, I, you know, I have to say uh, I'm very pro law enforcement, always have been, um, have a great relationship with the officers that patrol our neighborhood mm-hmm. free, uh, regularly. Um, it's just in, in that moment, the thoughts running through my head were, uh, boy, oh boy, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to shoot someone tonight because these guys can't be bothered to, to drive down the block. Ken's like, I'm going to write a strongly worded email to my city councilman about this. This is unacceptable. <laughs> so right. the, the, po- right. the police so, get there. How, how are you uh, um, alerted to the fact that they're there? You just hear them. I assume you hear them yelling and screaming at the guy or something to that effect. So um, at one point, you know, I, I, I yelled back to my spouse, like what's going on? Where, where are the cops? What's taking so long? And, uh, 
I picked up the phone again and dialed again, got through this time. And, and I just asked, gave my address and said, hey, we called you know, an hour ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where are they? And she said that they should be arriving any minute. And, and just, just as that happened, I, I looked out, I could see the lights out on the street. Okay. So they, they, they pulled up the, the patrol cars uh, right in front of the house, blocked off the street. And uh, again, the weird, what I would say was a weird thing. And as soon as they got there, this guy just stopped. Mm-hmm. And he just turned around and walked down the steps and out onto the sidewalk. And it was just a very calm event from there. So he just he goes down and gives up cuffs up and doesn't give him any yep. prop. well good that's good good news for the cops because yep. someone like that um, under under the influence can be a real problem to try to bring into custody so um, I assume at some point you open the door or they come to the door to talk to you what tell me about that yeah so um, after they they got this guy surrounded and they they sat him down you know took a little bit of time then one of them one of the officers started approaching the house and that you know now I'm watching through the uh, through the glass on the door and I've still got a gun in my hand and I'm thinking, boy, I, I sure don't want to open the door for the police and have a gun in my hand. That, sure. Just... Good thinking. And I also thought I'm not ready to put it down yet. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, just all the strange thoughts running through my head. What if this guy gets away from him and sees that, Oh, now the door's open. Now is my chance. You know? And yeah, I still don't know what's going on. I didn't know the guy was on PCP. I didn't know any of that stuff yet. Just some lunatic was trying to break into my house and, decided to stop for a bit. Um, so I, I told you the gun was a, a DASA and my, my pockets were up. You know, like, okay, I'm going to put it in my pocket. I can at least do that. And okay. Put the gun in my pocket and then open the door. The officer was very calm, approached the house and just said, you know, you guys okay? I told him, yeah, yeah, I'm just glad you're here. Right. Um, he told me that uh, they, they thought the guy was having some kind of mental break um, you know, go. I, I could agree with that. Yeah, it's a fair assessment. That's uh, because PCP does does mimic very much that that sort of uh, mental distress that somebody could be under. It, it's very it, the person does seem in that same frame of mind, very close yeah. to it. So, it, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was, no, he told me they didn't they didn't want to arrest him. They wanted to take him to the hospital to get him some help. Mm-hmm. And I said. Okay, you know, I, I trust your judgment. If that's what you think is best, by all means, do that. Um, and then he asked if we wanted any help cleaning up the mess with all the broken glass and that. And I was thinking, well, you know, I don't, I don't need the Chicago police cleaning up my front lawn. You guys have better things to do right. with your time. Right. So we'll take care of that. Uh, ambulance arrived, uh, put the guy, you know, in the back of the ambulance and that was about it for that night. You have to love the the customer service of CPD to offer to clean up. That's pretty nice of them because, you know, that's not always the case. Sometimes they're just too busy, but that was considerate of that officer to to offer that service to you. Kudos <laughs> to them. So let me ask you about the gun one more time. You you had you had informed the dispatcher um, during your initial call that you were armed. She she or she asked, and you answered yes in the affirmative. Was there? I know that call got cut short. Was there ever any discussion from the dispatcher to you about, hey, make sure you put it away before they show up or anything like that? Or we didn't get that far. Didn't get that far. Okay, so as as they're knocking on the door, I think this is really critical. Your you're still, your adrenaline's still going. Your heart's probably racing. This thing has been going on for a full seven minutes, which I can confirm feels more like an hour under the circumstances. 
you feel you have a sense of empowerment. There's a firearm in your hand. You know how to use it. So you feel like that's what's keeping the wolf at, uh, at bay. The police come to the door. You don't want to put that away just yet. You're not ready to. Um, you have to talk yourself into, okay, I'll put it in my pocket. That way I still have it on me. Um, th- there isn't really a question here. I'm just pointing out to folks that's something you can anticipate feeling and, and, and uh, experiencing under those circumstances. You've just been through something. And sure, the police are there. But, you know, th- this is my personal way of protecting myself and my loved ones. Um, is that is that accurate? That's that's 100 percent accurate. It was uh, like a safety blanket at the moment. Yeah, 100 percent. Um, so the uh, the police take him away. Is there any follow up from the police department after this? Yeah. Um, so turns out. Fast forward, I didn't sleep that night. Sure. Um, instead emailed one of the trainers I had been working with just to say, Hey, thank you. Uh-huh. you know, this is what happened tonight. And, uh, you know, appreciate everything you taught me, helped me deal with this. And, uh, you know, by that point it was probably one 30 in the morning and I didn't expect to hear back from him. He texted me within a couple minutes, just said, Hey man, do you need to talk? And I said, no, I just want to try to unwind and, and calm down a bit. But, um, he asked if uh, I'd be willing, if he took all the identifying information out, if he could put the story up on his Facebook page just mm-hmm. to share with, with other students. And I said, yes. Well, turns out that one of the responding officers was also a student. Oh, no and, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, he saw the post on Facebook and came back the next night to check on us. And that that's when he came and he told us, yeah, we, we got him to the hospital. The guy was on PCP. And, I, and I, like I told you in the email, I, I, I said, I haven't heard about PCP since the 80s. I yeah. didn't know that was still a thing. And he said, yeah, unfortunately, it's making a comeback. But um, that that was about it. Uh, we They didn't they didn't even file a police report on it. We had to request one for the insurance company and go down to the uh, station and fill it out. It's a controversial topic. There's a lot of stuff going on in the last few years around law enforcement, around the criminal justice system, and what is best um, when dealing with with various types of people committing various types of crimes, homelessness and drug use and that sort of thing. And I'm going to be honest, folks, I don't have all the answers. I just don't know. Is is a hospital a better answer? Should there be uh, criminal ramifications and charges for this person? I think it depends case case by case. What What I would what I would hate to see is that he then reoffends and doesn't have any criminal record. Um, at the very least, it should be documented that this happened so that if this happens again in two months and he goes to court, you know, they, it's like, look, your honor, we, we went, took him to the hospital. We tried to get him help. And he then used PCP again or whatever the case might be. Um, so that, so that there's some documentation at the very least. So if he decides to continue this behavior, okay, well then we, we tried that route. You know, we tried to get you help, right. medical help, psychiatric help, and either you refused it or it didn't take. And now we have to remove you from society for a period of time. You have to, there needs to be some sort of um, punishment, um, correctional punishment to prevent you, hopefully from, to make you think twice before engaging in that behavior again. Uh, but I digress. We, we talk a lot. Uh, in this space about emotional and mental fitness, spiritual fitness. Um, After this is all done, you're not just like, okay, that's over. I'm going to go to bed. You're buzzing uh, probably for hours. You talked about not getting any sleep. Uh, I assume you didn't do all the cleanup that night or did you as far as all the mess out front? 
we, we, we cleaned up the big pieces that night. Okay. You know, just to... So I had a, a gal on the show once who was brutally assaulted in her own home by a guy with a knife in her own home. She was in there by herself and had to, had to fight him off. And we talk about the next day she comes home to this same space she was in where this terrible thing happened. Now that didn't happen to you. Thank God you were prepared and you had a good door and a good police department, but still in all the next time you arrive home and there's the frame of that door or you're walking up to that door, are you reliving this at all? Is this something that stays with you? Cause you talked in your email about sort of that emotional aftermath. Talk to us about that. If you don't mind. Um, yeah. So I, I would say I, I think about it frequently. I'm, I'm every time I'm, so grateful for the way it turned out mm-hmm. uh, could could have definitely been a lot worse um, have taken steps you know some, learned some lessons and made some changes around the house to make it a little a, a little more resistant to uh, <laughs> PCP fiends right uh, right <laughs> PCP enthusiasts uh, I call them yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes that's a, that's a I guess that's the uh, 21st century way of saying yes but um, yeah, you know, I, I continue with uh, self-defense training. Um, my spouse has zero interest in it, so we have had the discussion of, okay, if, if you are not going to take any responsibility for this, here's if something happens, you, I'm sorry, you shut up and do what I tell you to do. And well, um, I have to ask, how did he take that? Was that was it was it uh, <laughs> was it well received, or was it like, how dare you? Well, I, I I may have phrased it a little gentler than I just did. Uh-huh, not, sure, but, uh, <laughs> absolutely. But the the message was understood. Okay, well, that's but good to know. So let's let's talk about lessons really quick. Um, th- there aren't a ton of lessons I don't think to learn here uh, for mistakes that you made, um, but there are lessons to to learn about what you did right. The only suggestions that I would have as far as things you might have done differently, and this is me, you know, 2,000 miles away with 2020 hindsight, knowing the whole story start to finish. So I don't ever want people to think I'm criticizing my guest. I'm not. Um, Did it occur to you at any point to retreat to another room? Not saying that would have been the right thing to do necessarily, but did it occur to you, okay, let's go upstairs and get behind another locked door and let the police sort this out? Or did did that go through your mind at all? And would you do that differently now, maybe if you had it to do all over again? Um. I don't know. So it's I, fair. as I was standing there waiting for the door to come down, I thought about what, what are some possible, you know, what can I do here? I can, you know, I can retreat through the house and, and just, you know, maybe this guy confines his mayhem to the living room and we're safe. Or maybe I trip over myself or something else and he gets to my spouse and that's just not acceptable. And these are thoughts that are happening in the moment. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, inside my house, there there are no other rooms that are very well fortified. You know, throughout the rest of the house, it's all the, unfortunately the new you know hollow doors that will come down in a stiff wind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I didn't really think there was a safer place to be. Uh, you know, unless he just decided not to pursue us, and I, I didn't I didn't think that was the right gamble to take at the moment all right um no in well hindsight well said. Should, in, I, hindsight. I said, in hindsight I, I have thought about fortifying another room in the house and, and putting up a heavier door that's still probably on, on the to-do list just to provide an option you could just uh just have a sign printed out that says there's definitely nobody in this room and just have that on the door and I, i'm just kidding all right um 
another thing you talked about having to go some distance to retrieve your secured firearm. You're nodding your head like, okay, yeah, I know, I know. So have you, has that situation changed at all? It, it has. So uh, a little more there. Um, I actually, I ran right past my bedroom nightstand that had a full size uh, a gun in it. Okay. Uh, and I, I did that deliberately. I, I still don't know if it was the right decision, but that was, uh, it was a gun I had not shot in months. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I wanted the gun I shoot every week and I carry and I'm comfortable with it and practice with it and know I'm good with it. And it, it, it was a decision I made in the moment. I don't know that it, it was the right decision. I probably could have grabbed the bigger gun on my way to get the other gun, but um, I fixed that. So now I have four versions of the same gun and I, I carry one. I keep one in the nightstand. I use one for training and the other one just a backup. So no matter where I am or what I'm doing, when I pick it up, it's comfortable and I know what uh, I know it's going to work. So you mainly um, just train with the, with the uh, Springfield? Uh, no. So I've, I've graduated from Springfield. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, didn't yeah want I, to know, say it. I know. I, I could see you, you were, you were trying to hold back the judgment. I no, no, that. no judgment. I'm just glad you were armed anyway. But so what do you, what yeah. do you, what do you uh, train with now? What's your main firearm? Uh, a CZ PO one. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I have a good friend, uh, Adam, up in um, Queen Creek area. He's a, he's an armorer for them and does all sorts of cool stuff and tricks those oh. things out. So, I mean, obviously, you know, we prefer you have an HK, but uh, you know, that's just our <laughs> that's just our snobbery, yeah. our snobbery in action. Um, so, you, do you feel like you have things other than having another door, or another room fortified? You feel like you have a plan. You feel like you have things where you want them and and, and arranged in such a way that you're prepared if something like this happens again. Um. I feel better prepared than previously, and, but it's one of those things I always look around and think, well, we could change that or we could do that. We, you know, there, there's always something to improve, I think. My dogs just started barking, folks. I apologize. <laughs> uh, you know, I, this is out of my house. All right, so I think the bottom line is here. Uh, bad guys, anyone on PCP, do not try to break into 431 North Decatur Ave. And sh- I'm kidding. That's not his address. Maybe it is. Who knows? Uh I can't thank you enough, Ken, for coming on. I don't want to part ways before I ask you if there's anything that you wanted to add, anything I forgot to ask. Um, I don't think there's anything that we, we haven't covered. I, I did just want to take a minute to thank you and John and the whole, the whole crew at ASP for what you do. And thank you for your, your time in law enforcement. Definitely appreciate you. Thanks for paying me. Taking care of all of us. Right on. All right, Ken. Well, I appreciate your time very, very much. Um, we're now friends. If I end up in Chicago, which I almost certainly will at some point, I'm going to look you up and vice versa. If you find yourself down here in Phoenix or Tucson, uh, let me know. We'll go get a coffee and we'll uh, we'll talk. We'll hang out. I appreciate that. Thanks, Ken. Alrighty, gang. Welcome back to your favorite segment of the week. Every week, once again, it is the Gutowski Files featuring Stephen Gutowski. Stephen is the founder of the reload.com and the host of the weekly reload podcast. And we look forward to these talks every week. Steven, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, the subject matter this week, uh, spoiler alert, uh, we're not talking about the NRA. So that's good. Um, <laughs> not that there isn't something to talk about the NRA, but this week we are focusing on something else. There is an article. Um, it's in fact, the president just got done giving the speeches. We're recording on Tuesday, the 14th at a little before four Arizona time. Uh, the title of the article is President Biden Announces New Executive Order on Guns. And if I, I understand the gist of this, um, it's an executive order 
And the idea is he wants to expand background checks to include some private party sales or something to that effect. Steve, why don't you explain it for our listeners? Sort of. Yeah. I mean, the, the goal is to subject more sales to background checks, right? So in that sense, you're, what you said is accurate. However, what he's trying to do essentially is to force more people to obtain federal firearms licenses. So he's directing the attorney general to issue a guidance on this to explain that when, you know, when people need to get a license before they can sell guns. And so frankly, this is actually almost identical to something that president Obama did in 2016, mm -hmm. where they made the same sort of effort to try and convince people they needed to get FFLs if they're going to sell certain amount of gun. Well, you know, this is the issue. The core of the issue right, is, well, first off, the reason they want to do this is that FFLs, federal firearms licensees, are required to conduct background checks when they sell a gun to somebody who's not an FFL, right? So if you're, that's why when you go into a gun store or you buy a gun from a, a dealer at a gun show who has a license, they make you go through a background check. Uh, and so the idea here is that if we can force as many people who are selling guns to obtain this license, then that will mean that more gun sales will be subject to background checks, right? So this is that's the concept they're getting at here. Uh, the way that the licensing system works in the United States right now is that you need a license. We, we, we regulate commercial sales of firearms, right? We don't, at the federal level, we don't regulate private sales of firearms. Use guns on the secondary market. You know, you sell a gun to a friend in your own state. That's not regulated. Um, whereas if you make a business out of selling guns to other people, then you have to get a license that is regulated, right? And so it all comes down to whether or not you're engaged in the business of selling guns. See, that was even like in quotes in the article, if I recall correctly, like, are you engaged mm -hmm. in the business? It sounds nefarious, but yes. Yeah, that's that's the key phrase in federal law for, for this licensing requirement. So what does that mean? Well, it's the law doesn't make it particularly clear. You know, it's just basically that you have to um, be predominantly seeking to profit from selling guns in order to be in the business. But usually the ATF puts out guidance and it's things like if you have a storefront here in the business, if you have a business name, if you repeatedly sell guns uh, in an effort to turn a profit, you know, you go you go and buy guns from one source and then immediately sell them again at marked up price to someone else, you might be in the business and have to get a license. Yeah, I think a common sense approach is what the Supreme Court said years ago. You'll probably recall about pornography when asked to define it. And I don't remember who the justice was, but he said, uh, I can't really define it, but I know it when I see it. I think that's kind that of... Was, I think that was Rehnquist. Yes. Yeah, it might have so been. So it's sort of like that, right? Um, there isn't, it's not like, oh, you sell an X number of guns and you have to get a license. In other words, you know, that's not what the standard is. The standard is that if you're engaging, you're acting like a business, then you have to get a license. And so President Obama tried to sort of infer to people that we're going to make this a very strict standard. 
Uh, and then now President Biden is doing the same thing, basically. But the issue is with taking this to court. I mean, really what it comes down to is whether or not DOJ can prosecute somebody over not uh, over selling guns without a license when they're in the business. And, I, you know, that standard, I don't think, has really changed at all since President Obama tried to do this and really didn't go anywhere. Um, now, the one caveat I would say, though, is that they did change this definition slightly in the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, the bill, the gun bill they passed last year. Mm-hmm. But before, there was a requirement for uh, the person who's selling guns to try that they're mainly seeking to uh, make a livelihood or profit off of the sales. So livelihood was a phrase that was in there. And now it's just predominantly uh, seeking profit. So, so, could, so side hustle could not qualify potentially. Uh, it's just they changed this language slightly. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't sound like a much of a difference. Uh, it uh, Perhaps the, the Biden White House is going to try and uh, proceed as though it's a significant change. But it really comes down to what the courts are going to accept in terms of that that change i mean that that's basically a synonymous phrase in in my mind when i read when i read the two terms so it's it's hard to see them getting very far with trying you know if they for instance if they came out and said well anyone who sells any guns right. is engaged in the business uh they're probably not going to get very far with that so the initial the initial phrase was quote with the principal objective of livelihood and profit and they changed it to uh to predominantly earn a profit so it might be a slightly less strict standard but i mean i, re- I read livelihood to mean your main gig like your livelihood is the reload you know i don't, I don't know I, I, but i think i think sometimes by design this stuff is left a little bit nebulous but they're not going to be able to enforce you know a, a, an arrest of someone who you know let's say sells 12 guns in a year and, and like where's the line they're, they're not going to be able to convict someone in court without a specific charge you would, you would need a charge and, right. and, you know you need elements of a crime and it, you can't leave it open to to speculation where the line is otherwise how is anyone supposed to be able to conduct themselves and understand if they've crossed the line or broken the law or not you know what i mean yeah and so we'll have to see exactly what the attorney general puts out in terms of his guidance you know, this is this is a little convoluted, but this executive order is just telling these the attorney general or these agencies to do things, and so we'll have to see exactly how they try to go about it in practice. But it does seem strikingly similar to what the Biden or the Obama administration tried to do in 2016 to little effect, and I don't see any particular reason why this would have far more effect than that did. Uh, same thing for some of these other you know, other efforts that are included in this executive order. You know, there's a number, it does a number of other things too, but they're all basically within current law. They're not really trying to stretch things like some of the president's previous executive orders have done. So, you know, um, it encourages the use of red flag laws, whatever that means, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever that means, like it's just telling states, Hey, you should use these more uh, if you, if you have them. But um, it's not like it's not trying to institute a new red flag law. You're just saying more people should 
It's like an education campaign about red flag laws. Then there's uh, there is a push to release some ATF records about um, violations, but from federal licensed uh, federal firearms licensees. So uh, th- there's been sort of a crackdown going on at the ATF around gun dealers and trying to uh, more strictly enforce the, the basically a lot of clerical laws. So if there's paperwork mistakes that they could be written up, there seem to be taking a zero tolerance policy towards uh, a lot of these different minor violations. And so this also would seek to make some of those records public in a way that they haven't been before. But again, it's, it's limited by what current law is. There are laws about what can be released and what can't. Uh, so, uh, there, you know, and there's, there's a number of things along those lines. Uh, there's also, he's, the president is encouraging the federal trade commission to issue a public report analyzing how gun makers market firearms, um, especially to minors and with the use of military imagery. So this is something that obviously a lot of gun control activists are upset about and have been upset about for a long time is things like the JR 15. If uh, people have heard anything about that, the California's governor made a big deal about that gun and it's marketing. Yeah. We think um, we discussed that here actually before previously. Right. So, you know, if you, if people recall that it's similar idea of they don't like that, Guns are marketed in certain ways. Uh, This goes back as well to the Sandy Hook lawsuit uh, where they tried to blame the marketing of of that AR on for the shooting that occurred, even though there's no evidence that the shooter ever actually saw any of that marketing. Um, But uh, that's another thing he's trying to do, get the FTC to release a report on how gun companies market things. Um, You know, that's kind of these the sort of actions they're trying to take are uh, honestly mostly um things that they could already do these aren't it's different from his previous attempts at executive actions because those were much more expansive and much more in the gray area of the law i would say Uh, and i think the this kind of signals that he's running out of things to do on his own to me at least that is our time do me a favor folks if you've made it this far uh leave us a review just go over here on apple for example just go leave a five-star review and say a few nice words about me maybe try to spell steven gutowski's last name correctly there's all sorts of things you can leave there but just tell us what you like what you don't like uh because that really helps us out and helps us get this message and to show out to more people now if you are lamenting the lack of down the middle saying sober reporting on the second amendment on the nra on what's going on in politics around guns, do me a favor, go over to thereload.com. That's thereload.com. And consider getting a membership. Stephen relies on your membership dues uh, to fund his very important work. And again, I know I've said it before, but I'll say it again. No one else is doing what he's doing. Uh, so we need to support him any way that we can. Uh, Stephen, a pleasure as always. Hope you have a wonderful week. And God willing, I'll see you next week. Absolutely. Absolutely.